listening to a podcast of Elam Lutheran Church in Osakis, Minnesota. Our passion is to be an oasis of life-giving water where lost and wandering souls can find eternal refreshment. For more information and to find out more about our ministries, please visit osakiselamchurch.com. Or if you're in the area, come visit us in person. to the way that your spirit would be moving through your word to convict us and to point us to Jesus and to grow us in our faith. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. It is a common pernicious plague that everyone would rather hear evil than good about their neighbors. It's a common pernicious plague that everyone would rather hear evil than good about their neighbors. Martin Luther says this in his large catechism. Today we're talking about gossip, the problem of gossip. And to do that, we're going to return to the story of Absalom, which, as you remember, we touched on last week. Uh, Absalom was the third son of King David, and David had a really messy life as far as his, his parenting went, and, and we discussed that recently. Uh, but here's the passage anyway. This is Second Samuel chapter 15, verses 1 through 6. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn there with me now, Second Samuel 15, verses 1 through 6. And let's rise for the reading of God's Word. It goes like this. After this, Absalom got himself a chariot and horses and 50 men to run before him. And Absalom used to rise early and stand beside the way of the gate. And when any man had a dispute to come before the king for judgment, Absalom would call to him and say, from what city are you? And when he said, your servant is of such and such a tribe in Israel, Absalom would say to him, see, your claims are good and right, but there is no man designated by the king to hear you. Then Absalom would say, Oh, that I were judge in the land. Then every man with a dispute or cause might come to me, and I would give him justice. And whenever a man came near to pay homage to him, he would put out his hand and take hold of him and kiss him. Thus Absalom did to all of Israel who came to the king of judgment, came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. You may be seated. Here's just kind of the context in case you missed a couple of weeks ago. When it says, after this, what it's talking about is that Absalom had just returned to Jerusalem after two years. He had been away from his father. He had committed murder. He had actually killed his brother-in-law and he'd fled. Um, But now, finally, it looks as if Absalom and David are going to be able to reconcile. Absalom comes back to Jerusalem. Things are looking good, but then this whole thing goes down. Now, when someone in Israel had a legal dispute, it wasn't the way that it it operated today. We wouldn't go to the county courthouse and file that dispute. Instead, they would show up at the city gate, right? This is where business was transacted. People would gather, they would hear the case, and then a judge would decide in favor of one or the other. So Absalom decides to appoint himself as this judge. Without permission or consent or even knowledge of King David, it appears at least, he just kind of did it. And he did it in a big, flashy sort of way. 
he got a fancy chariot. And chariots were usually reserved just for dignitaries. And he had this chariot, and 50 men were out in front of this chariot. This was kind of the standard military unit. So if you were royalty, you would get 50 men to to lead the chariot as you're going through the city and to call out and to proclaim that here comes the king. Here comes royalty. So was he actually claiming to be king himself? That's definitely a possibility here, which would have been treasonous. But anyway, he set himself up at the gate early in the morning so that he would be the first one to hear people's complaints. Anybody else woken up early in the morning and thought, I should, I should really wake up because I need to hear people's complaints? I haven't had that happen to me yet, but apparently Absalom did. Um, he'd get out there to the gate early in, their morning, early in the morning, and he would ingratiate himself to them, garnering their support, even spreading rumors about his father. So when these complainers approached Absalom with their problems, he would say, basically, look, I hear you, and I can't believe what you're going through, and to think that the king won't even give you the justice you deserve. By the way, this is not true. We know from other passages that David was a good, just, and righteous king. We even have examples of this. But Absalom is saying, look, he hasn't even appointed a judge to hear your case. Again, we don't have any evidence of the text, from the text that this is actually true. And he says, if only I were king, then we could right the ship. Vote for me and we can make Jerusalem great again. Something like that. I don't know. That's my paraphrase. But like a good politician glad-handing and kissing babies, Absalom stole the hearts of the people of Israel. And gossip was a massive part of his arsenal to do this. I don't know if you've noticed this, but in the church, there are some sins we tend to take really seriously, but gossip is not one of them. We tend to treat it like it's a harmless vice, like, sure, we know it's bad, or we, we, know, it's, we know it's not good, but we don't really think it's all that bad. I mean, compared to murder, adultery, stealing... Gossiping almost seems kind of cute. We even have gossip gossip columnists in gossip magazines. And some churches have their own version of this. It's called the prayer chain, right? How can I pray for so-and-so, i.e., spill the beans because I want to know the latest. Like, give me the goods, right? I want to know what's going on here. In small towns, gossip is especially common because everyone knows everyone, so we automatically think we're entitled to know everything about their lives, too. Does sound familiar? I grew up in a town, Osaka seems huge to me, because I grew up in a town of 560 people, okay? So we knew not only what was going on in our neighbors' lives, but their cattle as well, and like what, which cattle were getting along and all that stuff. So our town was so small that I remember one time I took some friends from college home over fall break or something like that. And I took them out goose hunting. These were guys from the city. They'd never been goose hunting before. Took them out. They shot. We, we, we got some geese. We, we got them all laid out there. We're all kneeling down there proud like they shot their first goose or whatever. We took a picture of it. We sent it into the local paper, not quite knowing what they're going to do with it. And uh, they decided to publish it on the front page. Like, <laughs> this is the news from Clearbrook. The, the leader record is that Luke's friends came to visit and they shot birds over the weekend. Small towns, we all know everything, right? The Bible speaks about gossip using a number of different terms. In Romans 1.30, the word is whisperer. Whisperer, speaking in hushed 
tones behind people's backs rather than in public. In 1 Timothy 5.13, the word is babbler. Someone who babbles is just someone who kind of spills out all of this empty, foolish talk continually. 1 Peter 4.15 uses the word meddler to describe these kinds of people. You never want to be called a meddler because a meddler is someone who pokes their nose into everyone's business, right? And then 2 Thessalonians 3.11, the word is busybody, meaning like an intrusive, uh, someone who is intrusive and they're acting in a very unprofitable way. So there's a lot of different terms that kind of capture the nuance of, of what we mean by the word gossip. But the most revealing definition for gossip comes from passages like 1 Timothy 3.11, 2 Timothy 3.3, and Titus 2.3, because the word here means slanderer, slanderer. And in Greek, the word is diabolos, as in diabolical, as in devil. The word, the same word used to translate devil is used to translate slanderer. So gossip isn't harmless. It's satanic. It's evil. It's diabolical slander that comes straight from the mouth of Satan. And when we gossip, we are acting as agents of the devil. God feels so strongly about gossip that He actually included it as one of the Ten Commandments. It's not worded that way, thou shalt not gossip, but you shall not give false testimony about your neighbor, right? What does this mean? Well, our catechism says this means that we should fear and love God so that we do not misrepresent, betray, lie about, nor slander our neighbor, but defend him, speak well of him, and say the kindest things we can about all he does. So not giving false testimony against your neighbor kind of has two different sides to it. On the one hand, don't speak anything harmful about them, right? But do speak things that are positive about them. Do your best to love them, to care for them, to present them in the best light possible. So it's not just a refraining from doing something. It's also an actively working toward their good. So let's ask this question then. What causes gossip to thrive? What are the, the, the ingredients? What's the perfect environment for the bacteria of gossip to grow? Well, I want to touch on three key ingredients. And I'm going to explain these more as we go. So the three key ingredients are triangulation, secrecy, and complaining. Combine these three make a potent combination. Triangulation, maybe you haven't heard this term before. If you haven't, you should Google it. It's very helpful because it, it presents um, the sin problem in a way that, that we can actually understand. And you'll, you'll, you'll read about it and you'll be like, oh yeah, like, I struggle with that too. Like, this is a part of, of human life. I've observed this. Now, triangulation is a way of communicating with another person about a third person who isn't there to speak for themselves. So you got one, two, three, triangle. Now, this can happen in families, it can happen in friend groups, it can happen at work, it can even happen at church. It can happen anywhere. For example, say my brother makes a life decision that I think is bad, right? Like, he, he did something, he, he decided to go in this direction, and I'm thinking, man, that's not... Chris, if you're listening to this, he doesn't listen to my sermons, but you're doing good. This isn't an actual example from real life. 
But say he does that. And rather than me going to him and saying, man, you know, I love you. Uh, I don't want to see you going in this direction. And I don't, I don't know about this. Rather than doing that, I go over to this other part of the triangle. I go over to my mom. I say, mom, like, you hear what he's doing? I, I don't agree with that. What do you think? See, now we've got three people in a communication that should just be a direct line. should just be me and my brother. We brought my mom into this, and we're kind of ganging up in a way on my brother, sort of behind his back. So we triangulate when we talk about someone rather than to someone. That's a good way to remember it. And this is what Jesus commands us to do, is to talk to people rather than about them. In Matthew 18, 15, we see it. And again, in our text, we see this because we've got Absalom and what's he doing, right? He's, he's talking to other people about his father rather than talking to his father directly or encouraging them to talk to his father, the king. So that's the first one. It's a big one, triangulation. And number two, gossip thrives when there is secrecy. Gossip thrives when there is secrecy. Now, I'm not talking about privacy. This is obviously something that is important. What what I'm talking about is a culture where secrecy becomes the norm. Gossip thrives in secrecy. The second you try to drag the information into the light, it dies. We see an element of this in Absalom's story, too. Absalom isn't being open with his father about what he's doing. He's hiding his plan to undermine the kingdom. If you keep reading the story, this is what happens. And ultimately, it it results in all-out war between him and his dad, and it ends in his own death. Okay, does not end well for Absalom. Gossip is all the more deadly because it's below the surface. But here's how you know you're about to hear some gossip. When somebody prefaces a statement with, well, you didn't hear it from me, but fill in the blank, right? Or, I heard through the grapevine that, fill in the blank. You know you've got a gossip on your hands. Or maybe you've had this happen. Have you ever had someone come to you and tell you something, but they won't reveal the source? They won't tell you who said it. Because the person wants to remain anonymous, hiding under the protection of secrecy. That's another sign you've got gossip on your hands. And when we propagate this kind of unhealthy behavior, what we do is we encourage a culture of dishonesty. We rob people of their God-given dignity because we're essentially saying, look, I don't love you enough to say this to your face. And we enable a culture of hiding rather than bringing into the light as 1 John instructs us. When we dwell in secrecy, we're right back in the Garden of Eden, hiding and Covering up with fig leaves. The third ingredient required for gossip to thrive is complaining. It's no accident that when Absalom sets himself up at the gate, who are the people that he's opening himself up to hearing from? It's the complainers, right? It's the people who are discontent, the grumblers. 
Have you ever met someone who is determined to be discontent? Like, no matter what, no matter what you do, that it is, it is as if, like, this is the number one goal, is, like, I am going to be discontent with you. Like, you try and you try, but you just can't please them. Gossip thrives when complaining and discontent and bitterness become the norm. Which, by the way, is different from just blowing off steam. I'm not talking about so much that. I'm talking about a habitual pattern that trickles down and infects an entire group. A family or group of friends or co-workers. It was interesting, I was reading about this, and there was a story that one pastor told that I thought was really interesting. He says, you know, this can even happen in a church. So he, here's what, what he says. Um, he says, that's how it often happens in a local church. A person gets hurt over some incident. They feel like the church failed to meet their needs. They grow bitter, blaming the leadership for not caring about their problem. The hurt person intends to go talk to one of the leaders about things, but it doesn't happen. Then one day he runs into someone else from the church who seems caring and concerned. So he shares his complaint. The caring person replies, well, it doesn't surprise me. You're not the first to have this kind of problem with the leaders, you know. Really? Oh, yes. In fact, I was just talking with another family who ran into the same brick wall. And he goes on to describe the situation. Those pastors just don't seem to care. We need some leaders who would care about the needs of good people like you. Doesn't that sound like Absalom in our story here? It sounds exactly like him. King David doesn't really care. He's not doing what I want. He's not meeting my expectations, etc. Satan uses this kind of scenario over and over to take down churches and church leaders, and we need to always be on guard and pray against it. So here's the question to kind of bring it back around. Gossip is bad, okay? Can I get some head nods there? Can we agree on that? Gossip is bad. So what do we do knowing this, that we don't want to participate or contribute to it? How should we as Christians respond to it, right? When someone tells us some information we're not sure we should pass along, what should we do? Well, I want to give three, very briefly, three words of advice straight from Scripture Number one, check your motivation. Check your motivation. Ask yourself, why am I doing this? Why am I passing this information along? Is it to hurt or to help another person? Is it being done out of anger and retaliation or a desire to, to sully someone's reputation? Or is it being done out of selfless love? That's number one. Check your motivation. Number two, check your facts. Most of the time, gossip involves rumors, and rumors are based on half-truths. But Proverbs 16.28 tells us, A dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer separates close friends. See, when we gossip, we spread untruth, and we create friction in relationships. So be careful that what you're saying is actually true, right? Take the time to do your homework because the potential benefits of that far outweigh the cost. So, check your heart, check your facts. Number three, in some cases, call the person out. Not publicly. Don't grab a megaphone and, and blast them in the church parking lot. I wouldn't recommend that. 
But in some cases, this needs to happen because gossip is a deadly, sinful cancer that spreads like wildfire. And what do you do with cancer? You attack it hard. You attack it aggressively. Listen to what Luther says. This is pretty hardcore. He says, if you encounter someone with a worthless tongue who gossips and slanders someone else, rebuke such people to their faces and make them blush with shame. Mic drop. And he's not alone. The Apostle Paul similarly counsels Timothy, a young pastor, about the dangers of gossip and, in sl- and slander. And in Matthew 18, 15, Jesus himself says this. He says, if you encounter someone with a worthless tongue... Oh, no, that's not what he says. That's what Luther says. Big difference between those guys. Um, Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. If he doesn't, you're supposed to take others along and and talk to them then. But that comes afterwards. See, when we refuse to participate in gossip, we break the chain and evil speech loses its power. Proverbs 26.20 talks about this. It says, without wood, a fire goes down. Without gossip, a quarrel dies down. If there's no more fuel for the fire, it's not going to be able to spread. So how are you doing with that? I can only speak for myself here. But if we're honest, we've all been targets of the rumor mill, and we've all participated in it. Ultimately, it was our slanderous hearts that pounded the nails through Jesus' hands and feet at Calvary. It was us who made up the false accusations and rumors about Him at His trial. It was us who screamed, crucify Him. It was us who sent Him to the cross. It was us who betrayed and abandoned Him and ran away. And it is us who actively destroy our neighbors with our words. But the good news is that Jesus loved us so much that He took all of that on His own shoulders. He purchased our pardon, forgiving us and wearing our guilt and shame so that we might become His perfect righteousness. See, what happens is that through faith, we receive the benefits, all of the benefits, not just some of them, all the benefits of His saving work eternal life, forgiveness, new birth, peace with God, and so much more. And He died and rose again to save us from the ultimate slanderer, the devil, and His accusations. So if you are here this morning as a baptized, believing child of God, when Satan comes at you with his rumors and gossip and slander and throws them in your face and and tells you that you are nothing but your past mistakes, that God could never forgive a sinner like you, that your, your value and worth come from your performance, that you are not and never will be enough, that your value is fixed and that God cannot redeem it, that you are an utter failure and worthless in God's eyes. When He comes at you with those lies, you get to say, away from me, Satan. Away from me, Satan. You have no power here. 
Because I am a beloved child of my heavenly Father. When our hearts condemn us, as it says in 1 John 4.19, God is what? Greater than our hearts. He knows everything. Our hearts know our sin, but God knows our Savior. He chooses to remember our sins no more, and He sees us through Christ-filtered lenses. You see, when He looks at you, God doesn't see your flaws. He sees only the perfect righteousness of Jesus, His impeccable record imputed to you, all of your bad deeds erased, and your account full to the brim and even spilling over with His good deeds which have been credited to you. That's the truth for all who believe. So as we wrap up our time together today, may we learn to trust and believe not the rumors and the gossip and the slander of our own hearts or or the world around us, but the true word of our Heavenly Father, when He declares us forgiven and free. And may we rest in the promise that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Come back next week when we will continue our series by talking about Sarah's jealousy. Let's pray. Hey friends, Pastor Luke here. Thanks so much for tuning in. I trust that you've been blessed by our message from God's Word today. Hey, we'd love to connect with you more. If you have comments or questions, you can email me directly at pastorchellog at gmail.com. That's pastorkjolhaug at gmail.com. As we wrap up our time together today, please receive this benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Amen.